to say that ASU fans didn't have much to cheer for in the last six or so months would be a gross understatement. But earlier today on September 24th, the Pac-12 came out with their announcement, an announcement that I think a lot of us were expecting to happen anyway, and that is there will be fall football in the Pac-12. We do not have to wait until January 2021 or later to see Arizona State and its 11 conference foes take to the gridiron. It's going to be a seven-game season. I know some folks are disappointed. Some folks are just happy to see football. So we're going to talk about today's announcement and also maybe I'll talk about Arizona State basketball. They're going to start their season along with the rest of the NCAA schools Thanksgiving weekend, and that's definitely a big piece of news as well. And I'll be joined by Speak of the Devils podcast host Brad Denny to discuss the Pac-12's decision get his thoughts on the on the seven-game schedule, on the reasons that were behind it, and what does it all mean for Arizona State? Is this season with the asterisk and all can be one that the Sun Devils can sneak up on everybody and win a Pac-12 South Division Championship, a feat they last achieved seven years ago in 2013, or maybe even think bigger and win a Pac-12 championship, a title that they won jointly with USC back in 2007, obviously won it outright in 1996. So ASU football is back. ASU basketball is back. There's lots to get to, so let's get started. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. Welcome to the Devil's Junkies Podcast. I'm your host and devilsdigest.com publisher, Hode Rubino. And as mentioned, the long-awaited announcement by the Pac-12 of the resumption of the football season now to be played in the fall of 2020 rather than the next calendar year, the subsequent announcement that we will see a college basketball season that still may be starting three or so weeks later than scheduled but will still be played in late November, Thanksgiving weekend to be exact. There's still details to work out in terms of how many conference and non-conference games will be played. If you recall, the Pac-12 for the first time was going to a 20 conference game model. It was 18 up, up until now. I don't know if the pandemic controlled schedule, if you will, will still have that in place or not. We're definitely going to see less non-conference games than we expected in basketball, and we'll just know much more details about that probably in the next two to three weeks. But uh, going back to football, the announcement was made about a seven-game season. The breakdown is as follows. Uh, Each team is obviously going to play the five teams in their division. The sixth game is going to be against a random team from the other division and a point that I brought up earlier is do the PAC 12 keep their post pandemic schedule that was supposed to start. If you recall this weekend on September 26th and the teams from the North at ASU, for example, is supposed to play. Is it going to really be just one of those teams as their third home game or just would it be just another random team from the PAC 12 North one thing you want to keep in mind that Arizona State, even before the pandemic hit, 
was set to skip as part of a regular rotation. Two teams in the North. Those two teams this year were Stanford and Washington. So I think it's a pretty safe bet that in terms of that sixth game of the season against a random team from the North, it's probably not going to be Stanford or Washington. It's may It may come from the teams that they were uh, scheduled to play in Cal and Oregon State. Two teams are supposed to play at home as it is. So that could be the sixth game, but we're going to know much more about that next week. The seventh game of the season, that's where things get really interesting. Obviously, you're going to have the division champions play each other for the Pac-12 championship. That's really no different than any other football season to date. But what is interesting is that the same weekend, which is December 18th, you're going to have crossover games. In other words, the team that finishes after six games second in the South will play the team that finished second in the North and so on and so forth. Now, the timing of the game is no coincidence because the college football playoff committee is going to convene on Sunday, December 20th. So the Pac-12 and all the Power Five conferences want to squeeze in their games, the championship games, I'm sorry, before that date so they can be in consideration for the playoffs. And the Pac-12 thinks that they do have a case, just like any other Power Five conference out there, to be in consideration for the final four in the college football playoffs. And I know some will argue against that. Some would say it's wishful thinking, but let's see how everything uh, pans out. At this point, you can only speculate whether that uh, is a theory that will or not uh, come to fruition. But the challenge uh, there is that the early signing period is still scheduled as we speak to take place between December 16th and 18th. So in the beginning, you probably thought that maybe the two teams playing for the Pac-12 championship might have a week from hell trying to prepare for the most important game of the year, especially if one of them or both of them were coming in undefeated with a legitimate shot of playing in the, in the college football playoffs and now worrying about securing their 2021 recruiting class in the midst of these, uh, these preparations. Not an easy task. Well, the Pac-12 really kind of even the playing field, if you will, for all 12 teams. So now, even if you're finishing dead last in the North or in the South, you still have a game to play the weekend of the 18th and the 19th. And yes, earlier in the week, you're going to be very busy with your recruiting duties, making sure that all your commits uh, do sign, maybe try to flip players from um, from other schools who committed elsewhere. So that is going to be uh, one uh, week that's going to be really, really interesting. I mean, you can expect anything and everything uh, happening uh, during then. But, uh, but going back to the schedule, there definitely was the perception, if not negative optics altogether, that the Pac-12 was really following the Big Ten, all of its decisions. As you recall, on the same day that the Big Ten announced that they were postponing their season possibly into January 2021, the Pac-12 later that day made that announcement. So when the Big Ten announced a few weeks ago that they actually are going to play football in the fall with a a kickoff date of October 24th. Many expected the Pac-12 to follow with a similar announcement shortly after, but lo and behold, there were a lot of restrictions, especially in the states of California and Oregon, that really prevented the six schools residing over there to even engage in preseason practices, 
namely strength and conditioning sessions, walkthroughs, and you can definitely make the case, and I'll talk talk about it a little later on with Brad Denny, that teams like ASU probably have an advantage over a lot of schools in the Pac-12 right now because they are basically ready to go into fall camp tomorrow if, if they really want to because the strength and conditioning level preparedness is very high, really the highest it can be at, the, at this point of a, of a preseason schedule. Uh, they've been for weeks now going uh, through walkthroughs, and those are practice sessions that do take place with helmet and shorts, but there's a football, there are coaches, and while you're not running anything even close to full speed, you're actually really concentrating on execution, concentrating on the techniques and mechanics that you need to employ on any given down and distance, for example. So there's definitely a lot of value in that. So, so the Pac-12 really had to have all its ducks in a row and making sure that all the teams were able to have the same level of strength and conditioning sessions, same level of walkthrough practices, even before we can talk about having a fall camp. And, and as we speak right now, uh, Boulder County, where the University of Colorado resides, did experience a huge spike in COVID-19 cases in the last week or two. So the county basically has everybody on lockdown, if you will, for the next couple of weeks. And they said publicly that does include the University of Colorado. So as we speak now, and sure, that could change by the time this podcast and ends its recording, the University of Colorado for the next two weeks cannot practice and cannot do strength and conditioning, cannot do walkthroughs, let alone have quote-unquote normal fall practices. So even the hurdles uh, have not been gone 100% away, but even the sets of California and Oregon, there are a lot of obstacles that have been removed, but there's still some kinks to work out here. So it's going to be interesting when November 6th, 7th, rolls by which teams are going to be definitely ready to play right away and which teams maybe perhaps as a Colorado is really going to have a hard time playing at the highest level possible, at least realistically that early in the season when they really didn't have a preseason practice routine like many other conference foes. So that's going to be really, really interesting uh, to see how it unfolds once the season kicks off. But again, we have a season kicking off, and that is just great news for Arizona State fans, for Pac-12 fans, and maybe, just maybe, the uh, national media and fans from all corners of this nation uh, get off the Pac-12's back. I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. Plenty to criticize, unfortunately. But we're going to talk about that and uh, other topics uh, with my guest, Speak of the Devil's podcast host, Brad Denny. So since I've been on this uh, gentleman's podcast for, I don't know, 60 or so times, I think it's about dang time that I would invite him to be on my podcast. I'm obviously talking about Brad Denny, Speak of the Devils, podcast host for many, many years. Brad, thank you so much for joining me on this, uh, I don't know, historic day, but uh, joyous day. <laughs> we really haven't had too many of those the last six months. How are you doing, Brad? I'm doing well, and you're right. Got to take the wins uh, where we can get them, and uh, you know it's good to be on the other side of the podcast interview spectrum for a, for a change. Exactly. I'll I'll try to make you comfortable. <laughs> as, I'll try to make you feel comfortable as many times as you felt me uh, 
make me feel comfortable over the years. Let's dive right into it. I know that uh, seven games is something a lot of us expected. I know a lot of us may not be too happy with a seven-game Pac-12 football schedule. Do you think that the conference did the best it could under the circumstances, or do you think that maybe in some ways it did fall short as it announced a return to uh, fall football? I think in a way this is almost a situation of kind of like playing with house money because just this year alone and just the pandemic in general, I mean, you have just so many ebbs and flows in terms of not just, you know, the sports, but of course society at large, but, you know, just the fact that we've had college football for these first couple of weeks. And obviously it's been a kind of a rocky road with, you know, upwards of 20 cancellations, but you know, you got to take your wins where you can get them. And I think with the PAC 12, I definitely side with the kind of, you know, discre- <clears throat> excuse me, discretion is the better part of valor, you know, just it, being a little bit more deliberate. If you know, try to get your ducks in a row before you jump into something, if that helps you able to play a full slate of, of games, even if it is a, shortened slate if you're able to go you know play those seven games uninterrupted rather than what we're seeing from very you know all across the country different conferences that have already been in play uh you know I, i'm all for that you know at this point it's just you know you got to take your wins where you can and just the fact that the conference feels in a place that they can proceed safely and maybe it's learning from some of the mistakes and missteps of the other conferences that are have been in play uh you know good for them and you know this is going to be a struggle and you know week in week out you never know what's going to happen and um, so I think, you know, just the fact that football is back, enjoy it while it lasts, and let's all hope, you know, on the same, on the same note that it, it can continue through, uh, through December. Yeah, and it brings up a good, a good point, Brad. I mean, look, I know everybody has their own point of view. Uh, was the Pac-12 being overcautious, starting as late as, as they are? But on the other hand, you're seeing a lot of games so far canceled uh, from, the, from the beginning of September. And granted, maybe most of those games so both of those teams that need to cancel are a group of five rather than power five conference schools they obviously don't have the testing capabilities as the bigger programs out there but uh, at the same time you look at what happened in Notre Dame for example yeah and uh you know they're definitely uh, not considered a small school by any means do you feel there's something to be said as much as a lot of people out there are frustrated that Pac-12 is starting as late as it is obviously the latest out of all power five conferences that maybe them taking their time might be in but might be uh, I guess when it's all said and done probably the smarter way to go about it because even the SEC is starting this weekend and uh, who knows uh, how, if they're going to be able to complete all, complete all the scheduled games not not that you and I are, are rooting against them but do you think there's something to be said about the Pac-12 waiting as long as they are, but maybe coming out the smarter conference uh, later on. Oh, absolutely. 100%. You know, is, I think that just by taking the time erring on the side of caution, because it's not just a situation where, you know, you, that there's some issues or scheduling quirks, whatever. This is a literal life and death pandemic. So you're playing with people's lives. And, you know, I know one of the common uh, refrains from, you know, critics is that, you know, the college age athlete, profile type kids aren't going to be at serious risk but I mean that's such a myopic view in terms of you the number of people that are they come in contact with the program friends family coaches support staff you know it it just it just takes this whole thing is such a delicate kind of house of cards that just takes one slight misstep and it all comes crashing down so I think taking 
more time and you know if it does result in a and it has resulted in a short schedule but if you're able to do that a more effective way in a safer fashion and this daily testing um, deal that hope you know hopefully they can get that installed and run and rolling and get those daily rapid tests that you know should be that game changer that really help uh, get things going in a smooth fashion it, it, I think that if everything can come together and you know if the big cost here is that you miss out on, on three games that's much better than a case of you know people getting sick or, or potentially dying or whatever that's that's a price no one should ever have to pay and so I think just taking your time, being more deliberate, um, letting the science uh, lead the way. And, you know, because as much as one of the things that really this whole pandemic has taught us is just, you know, want means nothing. I and mean, people want football. Everybody wants this stuff. But to do it in a reckless, haphazard, you know, fool's rush in type fashion uh, is something that just I th so too many people are, are think are okay with. And I think that the Pac-12 is showing, you know, just do their own thing. Let the science lead the way. Uh, and hopefully do this thing and learn from earlier mistakes and do this thing the right way. Now, as it stands right now, if all the other Power Five conferences are able to play older scheduled games, it seems as if the Pac-12 is going to have the least amount number of, of conference games played compared to their Power Five brethren. And the instant reaction that comes about is that the Pac-12 pretty much has pigeonholed itself to not be considered to get a spot in, in the college in the college playoffs, and even if there's a possibility of being some of the better bowl games out there, that a six and one or or five and two Pac-12 team may not even have a prayer for like a mid-tier bowl just because you're going to have other Power Five conference teams that, at least in theory. Are, may end up playing more conference games than you. I mean, what 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 is your train of thought when it, when it comes when it comes to that theory? I mean, do you think the Pac-12, because it's starting so late, has really put itself in a corner where its chances of qualifying for the Final Four in college football playoffs might be uh, close to close to none right now? Yeah, I think you know, on one hand, Pac-12 has kind of painted itself in a corner. Um, in terms of, you know, the prospects, you know, there's a 7-0 Pac-12 team beat out like a, you know, if there is other schedules, maybe like a 9-1 Bama or an 8-1 Auburn or something. Because, but then you have to figure it, you factor in, you know, these other, other the way things are going, and we're seeing, as you mentioned, with Notre Dame, some of these big schools with resources, and a lot of the stuff that's still going on throughout the, the southern United States, you know, you wonder if maybe a lot of those other conferences that maybe have proceeded so far aren't also in maybe in that 7-8 in that game range. And so, Maybe you have a little bit more uh, parity in that respect, but I, I think part of me thinks that you know, th with the way this 2020 season is going to go, it has gone. That it, you just take what you can get, and any sense of normalcy in terms of you know playoff implications and trying to factor in the teams and all that stuff is almost kind of not even secondary, maybe tertiary at, at this point. Of just like you know, if, if it happens, it happens. But great, but just the fact that, that you can. You're trying to play football, try to salvage a season, get some, get, you know, get through seven games, get the, that, you know, that revenue through the, the networks of seven games uh, of a Pac-12 season, regardless of bowls or, or postseason. Uh, beyond that, I, it's just, um, I just think that should be the focus right now. And, you know, while, of course, there is some financial benefit to having a team in the playoff, and I know there's been a lot of folks very critical of it, is like the Pac-12, thinking that the Pac-12's best shot of, you know, of a playoff team in or Oregon Obviously, they've lost so many key players, and so maybe 
I've, you know, there's been national criticism that, you know, the Pac-12 doesn't have a class caliber team anyway, but, you know, that's why they play the games. But I think at the end of the day, just playing football is going to be a victory here. Um, you know, if the, the playoff, I mean, there's certainly no guarantee that there's going to be a college football playoff with the way, you know, you never know how things are going to project in the, in the next couple months. You know, there are people always saying there's might be a second wave, the flu as panda or flu season in general adding into the mix. So you just don't know. So I just think right now for the, the PAC 12 should just be focused on playing the seven games as, as safely and as responsibly as possible. And then let, let the chips fall uh, elsewhere where they may. Do you feel that ASU, even though everybody's on the same page right now, more or less in terms of having the same kickoff date. And we know that, having some teams play on October 31st and some teams start on November 7th was something that maybe fans were, um, you know, more enamored with than university presidents and university athletic directors. But we also know that uh, teams in California in Oregon have not been able to have the same uh, preparedness level that a team like ASU, for example, has had. News came out just hours before the Pac-12 announcement <laughs> that Boulder County, where University yeah. of Colorado resides, is now not able to uh, practice for the next two weeks. I mean, maybe it's not a final, final decision, but that's the uh, way matters are looking right now because of a big spike of COVID-19 cases in, in that neck of the woods. Do you think that even though all the teams are starting play on the same day or the same weekend of November 6th, that a team like Arizona State that really touch wood does not have any interruptions uh, to date, and assuming they won't have any interruptions you now in, in the kickoff, do you think they've positioned themselves better uh, to have a better 2020 season, even compared to heavyweights like Oregon and USC, which like, I, which, like you said, had some player defections in terms of wanting to declare uh, for the NFL draft way too early, on top of already having uh, state regulations that really have not been able to uh, allow them to do walkthroughs and to do the full gamut of strength and conditioning drills as Arizona State has been doing the last couple of months. Well, I think that's definitely uh, going to give the Sun Devils a, a leg up. And, I mean, you've seen, uh, you know, I think Coastal Carolina is an interesting example because I think they're the only team in the FBS that was able to get a full slate of, like, 15 spring practices uh, uh, in before everything kind of shut down and you look at their first couple games and they're, they're executing on a, a much higher level. You see the, the uh, effect that just, you know, being able to have some sense of normalcy in this weird and crazy year. And, you know, Sun Devils of course got the seven spring practices and that was a big help. And then of course, you know, being back and able to work out and do some team stuff over the last couple months, I think it's going to be a definite leg up. And this is a year that, you know, as mentioned, kind of playing with house money and in, in a way, kind of any sense of parity um, in is going to be kind of tossed out the window because this kind of each week's going to be a, a battle and whether it is the fact that they have the upper hand in terms of being able to uh, be in the strength and conditioning and getting teamwork done over the last couple of months while other teams haven't uh, to the, you know, kind of the, you know, having an odd number of games, you're going to have, you know, some disparity in terms of who has the advantage of home and away or versus cross division uh, opponents. So I think there's going to be, a, you know, a lot of disparity this year and I, I just, for me, I just like to think, pull it all back and just say, hey, you know, it's football in some form or fashion that is done hopefully safely. Um, it's not going to be perfect, far from it, in fact. And it might be, you know, kind of that week in, week out battle. But, you know, um, I hope, you know, this whole season and the whole year, is, you know, it's going to have a big asterisk on it. So I just 
just uh, try to do it and execute the best way you can. And for, uh, you know, it's going to be a challenge for those Oregon and, Cal and California schools to kind of make up for, you know, those, uh, those disadvantages, but there, you know, there's nothing ace you can do and there should be no shame that, uh, you know, they've been able to be in a, a location that gives them that, uh, that leg up. Do you feel that just because it's such a weird season that maybe a team in the South or the North that right now you and I are maybe counting out, so to speak, <laughs> might just come from nowhere and shock the world just because they may have had the advantage again of that uh, level of preparedness in the preseason that some other of the heavyweight schools don't have? Oh, I, I think, yeah, that, this opens the door. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of talk. I mean, of course, ASU could be positioned to, you know, kind of take advantage of that leg up, uh, you know, over, you know, pr presume rival USC or, or maybe like a, a Utah or a Washington in the north. There's some school that, you know, has not had to deal with, you know, some of the, the big roadblocks, uh, local roadblocks in terms of get, getting able and being able to uh, participate. I mean, it would, be, it would be the perfect, you know, 2020 style story for just, you know, like a, you know, like a Cal in Colorado to somehow, you know, come out of nowhere and, uh, you know, win their respective divisions. But I, I, you know, I think that there's definitely going to be um, a lot of things that we don't expect in terms of, you know, on-field play. And, you know, even you know, I think that one of the factors here and pushing it back in a little extra time here in the conference is, I mean, you look at the NFL first couple of weeks and especially the second week where such a rash of injuries because the normal football is a sport, obviously, that is so structured on a year-in, year-out basis in terms of the calendar and things are so regimented that, when you have a disruption to this scale that it's almost kind of like, you know, a rivalry game, you throw everything out the window and you just kind of get by and do the best that you possibly can. And so maybe the teams that, you know, will have, since there is such an inequality in terms of, you know, that, that off season work over what's transpired over the last several months, it does give some of these, uh, these schools that uh, maybe not, and you factor in, you know, some of the, the, the player departures like Oregon has suffered, especially, it could open the door to a, you know, a fitting end to, you know, wild, weird end to a football season and a really wild, weird and uh, disappointing year. So I know at this point, uh, you and I don't, don't know when fall camp is starting for the Sun Devils. We don't know if it can even be a part of it, whether it's uh, covering the first 15 to 20 minutes or even doing post-practice <laughs> uh, interviews in person. But what are some of the fall camp storylines? If you can give me just like your top two or three that you think uh, would dominate, uh, you know, your coverage, uh, for example, uh, w with Arizona State uh, going into the 2020 season? Uh, I'm, you know, still real interested as to what this uh, program is going to do on, uh, on the lines, um, you know, both offensively and defensively. And, you know, of course, this, we all talked so much about what happened last year with the offensive line with, you know, starting two true freshmen, but now you got those guys uh, coming back with a year of experience under the belt. You got uh, Kate Cody coming back with, with his sixth year. Uh, a couple of, uh, you know, uh, intriguing transfers that, uh, you know, at least one of them got some run in, in the spring. Uh, Ladarius Henderson kicking over to right tackle. So it's going to be real interesting to see, you know, what happens on the offensive line. But, you know, I'm real, real interested uh, about the defensive line. And uh, with the, you know, just that, that shift to the four-man front and with the, the new uh, co-DCs and Marvin Lewis and Antonio Pierce and, you know, it seems like they, they, they feel pretty good about what they were able to get done in spring. But, you know, you, the defensive line is really something that I think has is held ASU back is, you know, sure, they can get a lot of the exciting skill players on offense and defensive backfield. But, you know, it's in those trenches that we've seen ASU really fall short in recent years when they go up against the, the big boys, you know, and, and 
I want to see what happens in terms of you know, who really is going to be able to emerge. We saw Jermaine Lole in, uh, at the, down the stretch last year really kind of find his groove, and now he's kicking in uh, in the inside of this four-man line. And, you know, the, Robert Rodriguez really is intrigued by what he can do in terms of his potential on the inside and, you know, what just what Coach Rodriguez can bring to this position group in general and a couple of the four-star uh, true freshmen coming in here and Joe Moore and Omar Norman Lott they can find themselves a significant role. And Mary Johnson, I mean, he just looks like that prototypical edge rusher that, uh, you know, that NFL mold, you know, uh, but is, you know, doing it on game day is going to be an entirely different thing. A lot of untapped potential, but I would really love to see, you know, what, who really is able to stand out in fall camp, really kind of emerge and uh, solidify some, some of those big roles. Cause I think if you can get a, a you know, a, have a step up or two in terms of D line play, I mean, you've got to feel good about the Sun Devil linebackers, and you've got to feel real good about the Sun Devil secondary. So I think that, that line can really kind of come together, find and identify some of those those key guys and, and solidify those roles. I think ASU's defense has a chance to be pretty special. So we don't know what the full seven-game schedule will be aside from playing the five uh, games against the South Division, which even in this crazy season, that parameter at least has not changed. <laughs> but what do you think – would it take for Arizona State, again, without knowing the last two opponents of the season, uh, to go to go 7-0? And what do you think maybe be the one uh, factor above everything else that might prevent them from a Pac-12 South uh, championship and beyond, or maybe even just having a very underachieving uh, season, uh, ultimately? I, I'm really looking at, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, something that could really hold them back is that, you know, I think back, you know, if the line play on both sides just is not elevated, if it, it's kind of stuck around the same level, because uh, I think that would, you know, if the Sun Devils continue to be kind of mediocre in the trenches, especially when they're going up against some of the bigger boys, um, you know, if they do happen to draw Oregon, but then you look at some of their division rivals, and, you know, Utah, you know, the names on the back of the jersey might change, but they're still going to bring in a lot of big guys and who are, who are, who are tough uh, to go against. So if, if, those, if those lines aren't clicking, I think ASU could be in for a rough go. Uh, you know, on, on the flip side, you know, some things that it could help ASU really kind of uh, uh, excel and, and take advantage of this year and maybe make a, a run at a, at a division title. I mean, you get, first and foremost, you got to look at Jaden Daniels and, you know, the, the, the strides that he's made. Um, you know, folks that I've talked to that, you know, they really like what he's doing behind the scenes on a day-in, day-out basis and, and his maturation, his growth. Uh, both on the field and, and as a leader, you know, there's no shortage of weapons in terms of, uh, you know, uh, in the backfield and out wide, but, you know, is Frank Darby going to, if he's able to, to, you know, maybe he doesn't have to go full on third straight first round pick, but if he's able to <laughs> expand that, that arsenal and, you know, show these more than just a, a deep threat, if he can, uh, you know, have greater consistency in terms of, uh, you know, making making the catch and, you know, getting rid of some of those drop issues. If we see some of the other wide receivers, some of those, you know, four, four star, Freshmen, you know, maybe you have a, one or two of those guys come in and able to establish a role. If we can, if the tight, end, the annual debate, you know, if the tight ends can finally uh, become a, a consistent part of this offense and everything that you know, I, now you've heard in myself, you know, the Zach Hill offense, tight ends are going to be emphasized. Is Nolan Matthews going to be, you know, a guy that can really kind of step up? You got to like what the ASU's done in the backfield. Uh, Diamante Trainum obviously has looked real good in spring. Uh, if Nagata can, you know, get, uh, form a nice little thunder and lightning tandem there. I mean, there's so many weapons on the Sun Devil team, you know, other than Darby right now, a lot of inexperience, but 
you know, you got to figure that if they can get a couple of those guys clicking uh, with a with a quarterback that with a skill set and and level head that we've seen in Jaden, I think the offense um, you know could be a real potent force. And you know, if that D line is able to get clicking as well, uh, you know, the, the the back two ends of that of the defense as well could make it pretty special. And I think that's those things can get going. I think ASU can make a, a real serious run at a South title. Right. I know you have a busy schedule. Uh, you're about uh, to cross-check uh, somebody into next year, um, the next <laughs> hour or so uh, in your hockey game. But before I let you go, Brad, uh, tell the folks out there, uh, where can they find uh, your work? And there really is a lot of work uh, lately <laughs> for you. You definitely have not been uh, pandemic uh, handicapped when it comes to the amount of content that you're putting out the last uh, few months. So props to you, first of all. And uh, tell the folks out there where they can find uh, Brad Denny and his work. Yeah, um, you can follow me on Twitter at bdenny29. Uh, and then you can also, of course, uh, find Speak of the Devils podcast on pretty much any podcast platform out there. Uh, we recently added Spotify, uh, Amazon Music as well, so and a couple other big providers there. So pretty much anywhere you get a podcast, you will find uh, that content uh, with the, the, the flagship show with Joe Healy and I or the uh, sit-down series where I do one-on-ones with you know, players, coaches, other folks. Uh, within Sun Devil Sports, you know, not just football. So, a lot, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of good stuff to talk about. Um, you can find written stuff uh, on at the uh, 3TV CBS 5 website, azfamily.com slash sports. So just put up a feature there about, uh, you know, an intriguing, uh, very uh, interesting young man on the AC roster, uh, Jackson Hui, um, the only Chinese-born player in the FBS. Um, so his story is pretty remarkable. So I uh, encourage folks to check that out and, uh, you know, just uh, – you know, follow me on Twitter, bdenny29, because, yeah, there's, we finally have uh, some good stuff, you know, to talk about, some actual games, so it's going to be a real exciting couple weeks. Well, Brad, next time, uh, even though I'm going to see you, uh, you know, both of us wearing masks and at least six feet apart, it was great talking <laughs> to you. And I look, I look forward to that next meeting because uh, that will mean that uh, we'll be out there, if not covering an ASU practice, uh, covering an ASU game, and that's uh, great, great news after an off season that seemed like it would never end and still into next year. So uh, thanks so much uh, for joining me on this uh, monumentous day, and uh, we'll talk later. <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you. So before I sign off, just wanted to offer some final thoughts here on the Pac-12's decision to resume fall football. I know that on the one hand, a lot of folks are really happy to have some kind of form of football. Maybe seven games is not ideal, but it's definitely better, in my opinion, and I think everybody else's opinion, than having or trying to have a full season in January 2021, which I don't think was ever going to happen anyway. So if you can have an abbreviated season, you might as well have it overlapping to a large extent with the other Power Five conferences. So I think that was important to have the season start, even though it's much later than anybody really wanted it to. I give credit for the Pac-12 securing the rapid testing capabilities in early September, but I wasn't really too satisfied with the answer of the Pac-12 saying that even though they had that in place the first week of September, that they weren't able to, I'm not going to say force the hand of state health officials, but maybe be more proactive and really try to get 
those schools, especially in California and Oregon, uh, up and running and being in a more advanced ramp-up stage, as they say, into fall camp. So maybe under that scenario, we could have began the season October 31st, maybe even October 24th, like the Big Ten did. And I think the dragging of the feet by the Pac-12 is something that does deserve some scrutiny here. I do also think that we cannot lose sight of the really strict guidelines that the schools in California and Oregon had to adhere to. And I don't want to get too political here and try to justify it or try to uh, really criticize it from each and every end. You know, at the end of the day, most of us listening to this podcast don't live in California, don't live in Oregon, don't know exactly the landscape there, what was or wasn't really happening with COVID-19. So it's somewhat of an uneducated uh, opinion. But I also feel that these same state health officials have lost sight of the fact that when a student athlete, whether it's football, basketball, whatever sport, does have a structure that he or she is a part of, that I think by default makes you safer. I mean, you definitely have a huge incentive to wear a mask, be socially distant, not go to fraternity or sorority parties, et cetera, et cetera. And when you did not allow players to be in that structure, I think you're just really opening yourself for more vulnerabilities and having a higher chance of contracting the virus. And I know that University of Arizona, for example, had to pause workouts for a week or two just because there was an outbreak over there with their student athletes. Uh, ASU Touchwood has been really, really lucky that they did not have any interruptions whatsoever. Uh, And I can't say I've heard of any cases with other Pac-12 schools that have been able to do strength and conditioning workouts and walkthroughs for the last several weeks having interruptions of their own. So really curious if all the schools can be on the same page more or less during their fall fall camp practices. And if they're not, I think it's really going to show starting week one. And if you're an Arizona State fan and you have probably the right to be selfish, you really don't care a whole lot that the rest, that not the rest of the Pac-12, at least half of the teams in the Pac-12 are not even close to being ready for week one as you should be, at least in theory. So what does that mean when all the teams hit the field on the same weekend? Time will tell, but I think if you're an Arizona State fan, you're definitely happy that you're on on the right side of the fence, if you will, being able to have a high level of, of preseason workouts. And maybe this can really lead to a division championship. Maybe this can lead into a Pac-12 championship. And we talked earlier in the podcast, sure, you can put an asterisk on it, and it's very unique and unprecedented circumstances, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it is also something that can give Arizona State a boost when it comes to future recruiting classes, when it comes to just elevating the stature of the program under Herm Edwards. I think those are aspects that should not be minimized whether or not we are operating through through a pandemic. So lots of exciting news today, and there's going to be a lot of exciting uh, news and stories in in the coming weeks leading up to the weekend of 
November 6th, when Pac-12 football fall season finally kicks off. And due to this good news, uh, we are running right now a great promotion on my website, devilsdigest.com. Probably the best promotion we really ran in quite a while. Uh, two great uh, offers here for you. Uh, for new monthly subscribers, you're only going to pay $3 for the rest of 2020, really averages to $1 a month. And you can get a monthly premium subscription. Not only are you going to read all the premium stories on my site, but also every other college football site across the Rivals.com network. And obviously, you will have access to our Devil's Huddle, our premium message board. A lot of the best nuggets uh, are not nuggets I share in a podcast or even a front page story, but in the Devil's Huddle in our premium message board. So $3 for the rest of 2020 does give you access to that. An even better deal with better savings is new annual subscribers can receive 70% off their first year of annual subscription. Same benefits as a monthly sub uh, subscriber with the significant exception of really saving a lot more money in the process. So our promotion story is on our front page at devilsitis.com. Make sure you go over there today, click and click there and find all the details uh, that you need to sign up because this is such an aggressive promotion. We are going to run it only through Monday, September 28th. So just make sure you're taking care uh, taking care of business during the weekend. Like I said, now that we know we're going to have a full, a fall football season, there's going to be a lot of news uh, coming concerning the team, not only football, but, but also basketball, which is going to begin practices on October 14th. And, as you know, guys, recruiting never stops, both in football and basketball. Uh, there's going to be a lot of nuggets uh, coming out from, the, from that arena. The basketball uh, signing period is in November, football in December. So you want to make sure that you be a premium subscriber on Devil's Digest and stay up with all the latest. Thanks again to my guest, Brad Denny from Speak of the Devils podcast for joining me, talking about the resumption of the Pac-12 fall football season and thank you for tuning in we will talk to you in a few weeks i was living in a devil town i didn't know it was a devil town oh lord it really brings me down about the devil town all my friends were vampires didn't know they were vampires Turns out I was a vampire myself in the devil town